Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from our respective homes across the frozen tundra. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devon. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. CigarCast episode number whatever, take two, and action. Yeah. 208, <laughs> this is actually our fourth anniversary, Shane. This oh, is wow. a big deal. Yeah, I didn't mention that in take one, so hey, here we go. So we're recording remote because of the snowstorm that has flaked all of Tennessee. And uh, we've, we got two more inches last night. I mean, it's just we, thick. We got three. Uh, we had about... We had about two inches of ice plus a half inch of snow here, and then yesterday we got another three inches. And we took the dog out last night about 10 o'clock. The snow was falling, and we took him on this little trail behind our house and let him off leash and just run around, and he was happier than a pig in slop. Oh, yeah, especially last night. It was kind of amazing because it was bright as high noon at 10 o'clock at night. It was, and that was great. I tried taking a couple of pictures, but the camera wasn't able to get, you know, all of the brightness that that was out there. But yeah, it was it was it was lovely to be able to walk around in a real proper snow. You know, if we were in a horror movie right now, I would be warning you that there was like some guy with an axe walking up behind you, gonna take out the window of your truck. <laughs> yeah, I just think if we were in a horror movie, that's how it would work. <laughs> <laughs> I just somebody walked behind your car and I seen that blurry shape walk behind your car and I thought, huh, if he was carrying an axe, this would be a great horror movie. Luckily it was just a snow shovel. Yeah, undoubtedly. Okay, and by the way, who in Tennessee needs to own a snow shovel? I know. It's you're gonna use it once every three years. Is it really worth the real estate it takes up? Also, we've got to come up with, this is another one of our Cigar Cast Million Dollar Ideals. I need a sled that does something during the summer. So that, you know, yeah. Tennessee, we get a snow like this, what, every five years? Every four years, three years, five. Yeah, yeah sure, whatever. Not annually. Bi- biannually at best. So I see all these people pulling these sleds out, and I'm like... Wow, so for a week's worth of use, you've been storing that thing for five years? (laughs) Luckily, most of the time, sleds don't take up just a huge amount of real estate. See, that's why we don't own a shovel, but I do own a whole bunch of rock salt. But here's the thing. In the summer, I use it to make ice cream. In the winter, I use it to get out of my house. It's, It's a perfect multitasker. Right, so we need to invent a sled that doubles as something else. Yeah, I want a I want a bicycle that I can switch out the rear wheel with like a track, and then the front wheel sw- swaps out with a ski. Yeah, I think that I'm going to work perfect. on that before next year. Yeah, I think get on that. I think that's a that's a million dollar ideal that needs to come to fruition. <laughs> but I can tell you from personal experience, riding a mountain bike in the snow is not advisable. It hurts when you go down, and you will go down. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing. If you've got a four-wheeler and you've got a rope attached to the back of it and four kids on a sled and you're dragging them down the middle of the mailbox-strewn road that is in front of my house, I think somebody ought to call child services. You're not Uh, very bright. Shane Reeves, the, the enemy of fun. 
There was a boy in Brentwood in serious condition yesterday because his daddy was dragging him behind a four-wheeler and ran him into a brick mailbox. Oof. Our prosecution rests. No, I mean, make no mistake, it's not a smart thing to do, but I think calling child services over an accident is a bit much. Well, but what I'm saying here is you don't You should see the accident coming. You don't always have to go for the bigger high. Sliding off the hill on your sled is perfectly okay. You don't need mechanical interventions. Especially in this area where we actually have hills. Now, if you were in Oklahoma, where it's as flat as my fifth grade girlfriend, then by all means, hook it up to the back of the truck and, and go for it. Sure. But here, we've got some serious hills. Let's, let's use them. Yeah. But anyway, okay. Enough, enough about the snow. I'm about sick yeah, of the snow. Yeah, can we smoke a cigar now? Yep. I'm going to smoke something unusual. I'm smoking the GTU, GTO La Cura Pigtail. About a 4 by 50 Perfecto. Very different size cigar for me. This is not a cigar I normally smoke. Dominican Puro. It's got a broadleaf wrapper. Um, and pretty much everything Oscar makes I really like. I've, I've had very few, with very few notable exceptions. I haven't had anything of his I hated. But I have had some of his that I don't like as well as others. But on the whole, GTO, good cigars. Yeah. No, I, I would fully, fully support that statement. What are you smoking? So I am smoking something a little different as well. So uh, earlier in the week, uh, or no, I guess it was Thursday night of last week, so a week ago, there was a new cigar shop in town that, well, it's not new, but they were shut down for coronavirus and then they were open for like a week and then there was a water damage, a pipe from the tenant above them burst and so they were shut down and used it as an opportunity to do a remodel. Well, they recently reopened and we were out and about and thought, hey, let's go check them out. And so walk in and I'm kind of checking out their their selection and everything and they had something I have not actually ever seen before and it was a My Father sampler pack, five cigars for 35 bucks excellent deal it had the Florida Los Antilles Maduro the Centurion the uh, couple of others <laughs> we'll say that much and this one that I'm smoking tonight which is the My Father My Father it's 91 rated, full bodied. This is one that looks very, very similar to the to the Le Bijou in terms of the box and the presentation and the band. Um, but it is a Nicaraguan puro from Esteli. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm yeah, and a Habano Rosado wrapper. So. It's it's an all-time great cigar. Normally runs in about the eleven to twelve dollar range, but like I said, if you find that my father sampler pack, definitely grab one. Some of these cigars you can't find most of the time anyway, and then and the bargain is just unreal. Yeah, that sounds like a great deal. And my father, you're gonna be hard pressed to go wrong with my father. Now, firing up this GTO brings a question to my mind, and I've been pondering this. While you're lighting your cigar, I'm gonna I'm gonna elaborate upon this. The 
If you owned a cigar manufacturer, if you were going to be a cigar manufacturer, would you want kind of a signature flavor? I fire up this GTO. I know it's a GTO immediately. It tastes like the other GTOs I've had. Now, it has some nuance and some difference, but at the base is still that GTO flavor. If you were going to run a cigar company, would you want to have a particular flavor or signature style, or would you rather go Wild West and every cigar is a new adventure? Okay, tell me what you think is the correct answer so I can make sure and take the opposite position. That happens naturally. You don't have to worry about it. (laughs) You know, I think of, you know, there are certain bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers where there's no denying whose band, who wrote the song when you hear it on the radio. Um, There are other bands like Radiohead who, depending on which album it is, it sounds like one of eight different inspirations for them. And I see merit to both, but... I like knowing when I put on a Foo Fighters album, if I don't know what I'm listening to, I at least know who I'm listening to. So for me, I think having that signature flavor, having that, this is a different version of this, but you can very much tell, you know, AJ Fernandez is a perfect example of that. And I'm a huge fan of everything they do because you know it's one of theirs. Now, some are still better or worse than others for my palate, but I at least know every time I pick up their cigars, I'm at least getting some of X. But I'm going to argue. I the knew counter- it. I'm going to argue <laughs> the counterpoint to that. Um, yes, in music, you want it to be consistent. And all because you've got your audience and your audience expects a certain amount of consistency. Even when I work with young builders, one of the things I'm always trying to get my young builders to do is develop a style, something that sets them apart from other builders. And we, we spend a tremendous amount of time and energy working on a style for my young builders, and it always rewards them out. But I think cigars is unique. I think in cigars... If I was running a cigar company, I would focus on construction. Okay, the blends can, I don't need a staple. All the blends are going to have these characteristics. I want every cigar to be constructed perfectly, and then we'll let the blends, we'll work through the blends. But I don't want, I don't, I wouldn't want somebody to pick up the, um, you know, the venomous duck and think that it, tasted just like one of my other cigars that i wouldn't want to pick up the venomous duck and say okay this is shane's cigar but that's gonna happen by virtue of the fact that you're still doing the blending every time i mean your palate is your palate yeah i don't i you know you you mentioned it you know whether it's building whether it's uh whether it's a, a chef whether you know a restaurant you know we always seek um consistency and I don't think there's I don't think cigars are any different and I think it's it's absolutely possible to still focus on quality first and construction first but have a signature flavor have a signature thing that I mean like I said you know if I were if I were blending cigars they would all have somewhat of a similar uh profile because they would fit my palate you know that's the thing with blending so unless you plan on having a different person blend every cigar i think you're going to end up with with exactly that well i think you can 
I think you have to open yourself to creativity as opposed to just mailing it in as a blender. I think that when you develop this is my signature taste, you're becoming lazy as a blender. As a blender, you should be expanding your palate and exploring your palate and trying new tobaccos and creating. That's that's what a blender should do. So I if if I could definitely argue a blender that has a signature flavor and everything's going to taste like that is lazy. No, but I'm I'm not suggesting that they all the cigars taste the same. That is lazy, but that's also not what a blender does. But your palate is still your palate. And so the likelihood that, you know, perfect example, Willie Herrera and you have almost an identical palate. Everything he blends, you like. That doesn't necessarily mean that they all taste the same, but you know when you smoke one of his cigars. I could hand you a Willie Herrera blindfolded, and you would still know it was one of his. And he's arguably one of the best in the game. Definitely. I mean, the only thing he's ever made that I didn't like was the La Coalition. And he's, you, you know, and I think that had to do and with that wasn't the, necessarily all his fault. Yeah, I think that had to do with the tobacco and my bias against crown heads as much as anything. I think you're right. And all, but I get, I, I think that crown heads has earned my bias because they burned me too many times. It so, happens. But anyway, well, let's talk about something that didn't burn me. Cigar, CAO finally listened to me. They are re-releasing the Zocalo as a permanent release. Um, one of my favorite cigars they made about two years ago, it's a San Andreas wrapper, Cameroon binder, Nicaraguan filler. It's a simple little cigar. comes from a and small town. <laughs> neither, one of, neither one of us realized at the time that it was a limited release because well, I loved it too. Yeah, and for the price of eight or nine bucks, you don't expect a limited release to ever be in that price point. And that's that's one of the things I I sort of retcon, retconning my love for this cigar comes into that that price point aspect. You know, there's nothing that says a limited release has to be more expensive than your regular regular line. You know, you can use less expensive tobaccos in a special release. You know, all that matters is quantity you know let the let the second hand sort of gray market dictate you know your your supply and demand price but you know the idea that you can you can just make a smaller batch at something that still gives people the ability to experience that that limited release that special release kind of aspect of the cigar culture without having to break the bank i think is brilliant or is this a marketing ploy did CAOs say, okay, because the Zocalo admitted you don't detect a lot of finesse in this cigar. It's done simply and done simply well. Is this a situation where CAO said, hey, we're not sure how the market's going to react to this cigar. So let's put it out there. And somebody said, hey, let's call it a special release. That'll, that'll make it now, in my opinion, that would skew the perspective. I would call it the CAO Zocala experiment or something like that. You keep looking over your shoulder now, hoping that guy with the axe ain't there. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, but, I'm I'm checking out the the snow situation over here. But is the CAO Zocala being a special release at first? Do you think that was them just trying out the blend, and they just went called it a special release for marketing reasons? It could be, but I, I don't think it was nefarious uh, in any way. I think, 
you know, in the in the pantheon of cigar releases and blending and all of the R&D and all of the special, you know, time, energy and money that goes into creating a new blend. I actually think it's a pretty genius way to bring a new brand to mass market. You know, you say, okay, we're going to bring this out and see how it does. Knowing that we have the uh, infrastructure to expand our production size on this if we need to, you know, that way you don't end up like a La Florida Minicana where everything you produce is good, but you can only make four at a time because of the the supply level and you end up backordered for eight months. I think this is a brilliant way to say, okay, what's the, what's the demand like on this? Oh, it's, it's enough that we can sustain it. Cool. Let's make it. Yeah, and I'm not claiming that this was a, a gimmick for gimmick's sake. I think that this was just that. I think that CAO said, okay, we have the capacity to make a lot of this cigar, but before we do, before we donate the resources to make a lot of this cigar, let's run a, let's run 5,000 boxes and see what the, the people say. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like what happened with the McAuliffe, and we saw how good that was uh, by being produced in a very similar circumstance. You know, they... Uh, had a couple of blends. Well, I just turned into JFK there for a second. Uh, that was that was weird. Uh, they experimented with a couple of blends. They gave the power to their ambassadors to really focus down, narrow down which one is which one are you guys going to like the most. And then once all the votes were tallied and and the verdict was in, okay, that's the one. And I I hope we see more of either this or that going forward where the market gets to dictate what comes to market. I love that. Well, and there's always a fine line between great marketing and is gimmickry a word? Gimmetry? What's what's uh, the act of performing a gimmick? Uh gimmickness? Gimmickosity? Gimmectitude. Okay, there's always a fine line between good marketing and gimmectitude. <laughs> I love when we get to invent words. That's the best part oh, of having your own podcast. It really is. <laughs> but uh, So Hoya, moving forward with there, is this gimmectitude or is this just great marketing? Hoya de Nicaragua Dos Cientos celebrates Central America's bicentennial. Um, I love this ideal this is a 21 cigar box and uh, it's a 6x54 Gran Toro um, tobacco from Nicaragua, Honduras Mexico, Ecuador can we just say we covered all of South America everybody had a little tobacco and threw in the pot Central America but yes um, and I think 6x54 is the absolute perfect size for a cigar I mean that is in my opinion it maybe 6 and a half by 54 but but I absolutely love that size cigar. And so the reason for the 21 count box, I think, you know, going back to that whole thing, is it gimmick or is it marketing? I think this is perfect marketing. And I think it's gimmick, but well executed gimmick. So it gets a pass from me. The 21st cigar is specially wrapped in sort of a rice paper kind of, uh, you know, it's really done up nice and it's, it's set aside and it's made to look special. And the idea is that on September 15th of this year, um, 
up to you know the potential two there's two thousand boxes of it so potentially two thousand people are going to join a virtual herf and everyone is going to smoke this particular one out of the box together as a communal experience and i love that okay so now let's break this down i, I love the nuts and bolts so if you're a cigar owner and say you got three boxes of the dos años the dos cientos excuse me dos cientos um do you put them out on the shelf and sell them individually and save the one special one or perhaps price the one special one a little higher do you just get your guys that you know are hoya fans and say i'm this is a special box and i'm only going to sell it to you a box at a time what do you do as a cigar owner cigar store owner when this cigar arrives all right, let's say for let's say I get 5 boxes just as a general number. I'm putting 3 aside for box purchase only, and I'm probably going to pre-sell them with people like you and I that I know are interested not only in good Hoya cigars but also fun gimmicks. You know, because you've always got that one guy in the shop that regardless of what brand it is, he's going to buy the the cigar, the box of cigars that comes with the knife or comes with the freebies or comes with the whatever. So, um, but I'm going to have at least two that go on the shelf and everyone that buys two or more gets entered into a raffle for the extra one. Oh, now that's a good idea. Well, now here's my question. I wish they went into this. So is like the password to get on to this Zoom event on the inside of the wrapper or is this something that you could perhaps have one not in the wrapper and still join everybody on september 15th oh no it says the event will be limited to individuals who purchase a full box of dos Cientos. which makes me think that the access code is printed inside the box somewhere that would make sense that would definitely make sense that that would be how it been so you so you think you sell one box piecemeal and then do a raffle for the for the big daddy? Yeah. Know. Okay. Well, I could understand that, but it's just interesting. I think it's a great gimmick. I think this, like the shut the box cigar, is just a great gimmick, and it's just good marketing. It don't have just because we use the term gimmicktitude does not mean it's necessarily bad. Yeah, there are there are some gimmicks that I really like and, and I'm willing to admit that yes, they're gimmicks, but I don't care. The shut the box was a perfect example of that. It's the same cigar we could have been buying all along, but you and I both went out and bought a box of it because we loved the throwback. To, you know, we loved the nod to somebody who we're both really big fans of. We loved the idea of just kind of rounding out the, the marketing thing. And this is the same kind of thing. I, you know, I, I really like that Hoya is taking that next step that to really kind of round out what they're doing, not just with the blends of the cigars, but also in the marketing and the packaging. Well, so let's talk about the cigars we're smoking for a minute. This GTO La Cura, I like it. I'm having trouble manipulating it. The size is unwieldy. Because it's a little sharp for a perfecto, yeah. and you know, in that the curves are pretty, the curves are pretty tight on this cigar, 
And I'm enjoying the flavor, but I don't know that the amount of effort required to manipulate this. I have another one of these, and I'm going to have to bring it to you to smoke on the show and see if it's fat fingers or if I'm actually right that this is just kind of an unwieldy cigar. Yeah, well, see, you know, and and I've talked on the show many times before about how I'm not really a bellicoso or a torpedo fan for that very reason i find them hard to manipulate I, every time i put it in my mouth to take a draw off of it i feel like it's trying to jump back out and so i would be interested because that's a little bit different than a torpedo but it i wonder if i would have the same complaints uh about that i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna bring one the other one i have to you Right. And I'll let you smoke it on the air one day. Because the flavor is excellent. My complaint is not the flavor. The construction is fine. It's holding together well. No wrapper cracks. No draw issues. Everything is good except for just the physicality of handling the thing is inconvenient. I right. feel like I'm going to drop it and burn a hole in my favorite sweatshirt at any moment. Yeah, I'm actually and considering changing shirts or putting on a bib. <laughs> that is that is the hard thing. Um so let's step away for a break real quick. We didn't quite hit everything we want to in the first half, but we, um, uh, we've got some great stuff, including a new release coming up in the second half of the show, including uh, also some, some lawyers that uh, got happy with their cigars on a conference call. So we'll be back with that and more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who's writing a book about hurricanes and tornadoes, but right now it's still a draft, Mr. Trey Dedman. <laughs> I love that. I think I think that might be my new favorite. The underrate the pun is underrated. I love the pun. Now I don't want a string of puns like they're coming out of a belt-fed 50 caliber machine gun. Right. But just a pun sprinkled in at the proper moment has a lot of value. You know, the the greater comedic community poo-poos the pun, but a, a well-executed pun for me, there's nothing better. Yeah, and it's it's and it needs to be semi-appropriate. You hate to pun for the sake of pun. That's one of the really fun things about being a parent. And number one is, you know, you've got the whole dad joke thing. So you've got carte blanche to pun out everything available. But at a certain point, like my daughter who's 12, they start to recognize your sense of humor and then it becomes part of their own. And so to watch her brain, you can see the hamster just getting started in there as she's like, wait a minute, I can make something out of this. And then the joke in our house is one out of 10, about one out of every 10 of her jokes lands. But when it does, it's brilliant. And that is so much fun to watch. Yeah. I think that's, um, it, like you said, it's one of the joys of children and all. Cause with my nephews and all that, I got to work on that. Cause their, their father was not a very humorous person. And I think uncles get to be humorous more. So, you know, everybody says they have a crazy uncle, but it's not really that. It's that your dad's got a rep to uphold. Your uncle right. gets to be a little crazier with you because he can drop you off at home later and let somebody else deal with the consequences. 
Yeah, e- exactly. You I know, think that's where the myth of the crazy uncle comes from. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about the my father, my father. My goodness. I, you know, I, bef- when I was lighting it up at the beginning of the show, I was talking about how much I liked it. As I've smoked about a third of it now, I'm realizing I don't actually think I've ever had this cigar before. I think this is a first-time experience for me because this is the absolute best cigar from my father I've ever had. This thing is phenomenal. It is full-bodied, like they suggest. Um, it's so complex. It's got a little bit of pepper, but not too much. Uh, I'm getting really rich, just Nicaraguan flavors coating the entire, my entire palate. This is not a back of the tongue or front of the mouth kind of thing. This is, this is overwhelming me with flavor, but in a way that's balanced, I am, I'm over the moon about this cigar. You know, and that's something that I like. You know, we were speaking of blending earlier and having a signature flavor. But also, I think a blender has to be willing to step out and make a cigar that he doesn't think everybody will like. So I do want to talk about this new Brazilian Heavy Trinidad Espiritu Series number 2. Now, you have procured a couple of these for our uses. I have. We were supposed to be smoking those on the show this week, um, but obviously us not being able to get together has uh, put a damper on that. So I'm still holding on to them uh, for for next week, which is a bit of a shame because I actually went to our local, you know, Altitis retailer uh, last week specifically because I knew that they had just gotten this cigar in. And I loved the first one, and I can't wait to try this one. But then while I was there, he's like, hey, you should smoke those on the show. So now I have to, now I have one for you that I wasn't planning on buying. And now I have to uphold my honor as far as the, the podcast goes and hold on to it. So I've been wanting to smoke the cigar already for a week and a half. It's going to be two weeks by the time I actually get to. Let's hope it lives up to the hype. But I have no doubt that it will. Well, you shouldn't be out promiscuously smoking new cigars not on the podcast anyway. I mean, that's just running around. I think you should stay loyal. Rarely do I ever smoke a new cigar that I'm not on the podcast. Yeah, but I am very impulsive. Uh, Let the record state. I am incredibly impulsive. And so when I see a cigar on the shelf that intrigues me that I've never had before, it intrigues me in that moment. It doesn't intrigue me just for 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 the sake of intrigue that, okay, I'll buy this and then I'll wait a week and a half before I smoke it. No, I want it now. But isn't it better? Is Aren't we going to enjoy it now that we've actually talked about it this week? And I think we should do this from now on. I really do. Not just because I want to torture you, because I... I missed no, the chance. No, it is all because you want to torture me. Oh no, I missed the chance to take a great shot at you just a second ago, and I just let it slide. I said too mean. So, but should we not establish that? Okay, the week before we smoke a cigar, we'll talk about the cigar, and then we get a week to kind of because this is Brazilian Araparaca tat, um, tobacco. It's a Brazilian Araparaca. Araparaca? Yeah, I guess that's the way you pronounce that. Wrapper, Nicaraguan binder and filler from Nicaraguan and Brazil. So this is a this is strong because I'm you know when I hear Brazilian I immediately think Matafina. Right. Um, Araparaca 
which sounds like a bad punk band. <laughs> I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's Arapiraca, but that's just me. That uh, sounds anyway. better. Yeah. So I'm really excited about smoking this, and I actually think I will enjoy it more for having waited, for having delayed the gratification of smoking this cigar. You know, it can go both ways. It can either be enhanced by the buildup, um, or it, you can build it up so high in your head that when you finally get to it, it lets you down. You know, and that's that's the gamble. But that's true with cigars, whether you wait or not. So I guess it goes both ways. And by the way, you know, I've never brought this up on the show before, but Altadis does the one size of cigar that nobody else does that I absolutely love. The seven and a half by 40. You, you like that. I love it. It's the tor. It's all the flavor of the Toro, long enough to enjoy as if it's a Gordo or a Churchill. And yep. I really love that size. You know, the first of the um, Nicaraguan Connecticut Romeos I smoked was the seven and a half by forty. Loved it. Yep. And I just I really like that size. I wish more cigar retailers would not be afraid to dive into the to fooling with their sizes just a little. Well, and like, you know, their Toro is a 6x54, which, as I was saying earlier, is the absolute perfect size of cigar. So for me, but because the 40 is just a little too much, but I definitely understand, you know, that seven and a half, that extra length gives you some more time on it. Um, I might have to, uh, we, we will be smoking the Toro next week, but I may have to go grab that Fundador size. Yeah, I think that would be cool just to to fool with and I, I just i love that size and this is a collaboration between aj fernandez and rafael nordal which um, how can of you produ- say anything bad about that yeah that's you know that's two masters coming to play but speaking of impulsiveness and not being able to wait well hang lawyers- on hang on one <laughs> second i apologize for stepping all over that but i wanted to point out something that you mentioned off the air uh, that I was unaware of. Did you? You were saying this is going to be one of a of a trilogy. Correct. This is a one. Of, this is number two in a series of three. Uh, so I didn't realize at the time, originally realizing this, that this was going to be one of of three. I, it's going to be interesting to me to see how this differs between the second and first one because we were talking about you know, if you look at movies. You know, the second usually pales in comparison to the first and third. Um, I, I really hope, you know, this goes back to the whole, you know, are we building it up too much? I really hope this, you know, this lives up to the hype. Yeah, you know, I hate, so I think the reason second movies fail is because they get the first movie, the first movie's solid, they say, we got a hit on our hands, we're going to do a trilogy, because for some reason a trilogy is where they decided to go with it, and we're just going to use the second movie to set up sales on the third. Right. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean, excellent example of that. Um, so many movies seem to to set up the third movie and the second movie, and you don't get to enjoy it as much. Right. And I'll, okay, so we, I, since we're talking about movies, I have to do a quick movie quiz on you. And I'll, I'm, I'm playing my Will Trey Lockett game. Kill Bill, 
I have to think about this. The two movies in the Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill series. Mm-hmm. I loved them. I really enjoyed them. I really thought that the philosophical aspects of the movie were excellent, especially the scene where David Carradine is having his soliloquy with Uma Thurman right at the end, right before you know the final battle. Right. Really thought the Kill Bill series was excellent. I think you hated it or have never bothered to watch. I... Uh... I actually loved it when it came out. Uh, I don't personally feel like it holds up to future watching, but at the same time, my film tastes have changed in the in the last you know few years since it since the last time I watched it, and so I don't necessarily pull that as a, a mark against the movie itself. Just that it's it's not really in my taste anymore. Well, you know, I always have, on snow days, I have a snow day movie. And uh, every year, a couple of times, you know, whenever the snow comes, every two years, three years, whatever, I always watch the movie Suicide Squad. That's just become my snow day movie. Yeah. And uh, do you have a snow day movie? I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, you, I don't think there's, I mean, I'm not much of a movie guy anymore anyway. Um I've been watching a lot of movies lately because I, we were, you know, we've been stuck at home for so long and I've run through all my TV shows. And so I've been, you know, we, we went through, I will say we went through and watched all three oceans movies over the last three days. And, and that was fun. Cause I, I love oceans 11 oceans. 12 is terrible. Oceans 13 is kind of fun. And, and, I, but I forgot how much, redemption how much how many redeeming qualities actually there are in oceans 12 and i think you should always go back speaking of the whole trilogy thing i think you should always go back and and watch films you know every every five years especially if there was one in the series you didn't like go rewatch that one unless it's back to the future too because that one sucks but and just and, and just remind yourself that there were some redeeming qualities well, and it's interesting, as your perspective on life changes, your taste in movies thereby must. Right. And, uh, you know, um, now when I watch superhero movies, because I enjoy superhero movies, I'm not too highbrow to admit it, I enjoy superhero movies because the overarching, I've discovered this in the past year, the overarching theme behind a superhero movie is, does the ends justify the means? Right. You have the ability to just whack the bad guy. You have the ability to just kill the bad guy flat out. And does him being off the planet justify the fact that you decided to take a life and kill? I think that's the superpowers don't solve your problems. They make actually your problems more complicated. And I think that that's the overarching theme. So as I go back and rewatch movies with that theme in mind, it's really interesting because it kind of shows who's a lazy director and who really knows what they're doing. Well, and that kind of goes back to the whole Spider-Man thing. You know, that was the first to really, you know, take that principle and actually put it right out on Front Street rather than just making it, you know, something that's alluded to. With great power comes great responsibility. And so I think how well a comic book... or a movie based on a comic book or the superhero principle plays on that, I think is really telling of, of the author. 
Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I rewatched Aquaman recently. Terrible movie. I did not like Aquaman because it was just um, shallow. It was they, they focused all their energy on making it visually stunning and none of their energy on the story. Yeah. And I just was not impressed by that movie. And the thing, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I, one of the the things with, with Marvel kind of jumping out and becoming this juggernaut as far as movies are concerned, you know, I'm just not a fan. I can't tell you the last time I watched a superhero movie, much less a Marvel movie. And yeah, and I think it's because it's become all about the grandiosity and and less about the story anymore. You know, that's part of what made Batman Begins so brilliant was that it took this concept of a superhero movie and made it into a real movie. And now we've gone back the other way. Well, that's all right, because I hated the whole the whole Peter Nolan Batman series. I hated Chris Nolan. Yeah, Chris Nolan, whatever his name is. Hated the whole series. Of Didn't like a did. single thing he did. And all because I like the campiness. I, I like, I don't, I do, I'm not so wrapped up in reality and the harsh truths of reality that I need that to invade every aspect of my life. And that's kind of what he was doing, was trying to shove that down my throat. And it just doesn't work for me. And, and I get that. I think, I think bringing a level of, of grittiness and reality to the character in the universe for me was, was uh, a breath of fresh air because, you know, I, I grew up on Batman comic books and, you know, in, in particular, you know, the dark Knight returns from Frank Miller, which is, which heavily, heavily influenced that movie. Um, or at least, you know, the first one. And so I loved seeing my my beloved timeline brought to life on the screen. Now, if you were someone who came of age, you know, with Adam West as the quintessential Batman, then then I can see why it wouldn't hit your particular taste. And I realize that's a bit before your time, but you know, it, it's great that there are superhero movies out there, and 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 really movies in general out there for everyone's palate, just like you know. To bring it back to the purpose of why, what we're doing here, it's just like cigars. You know, there's not one that fits everybody's palate. Yeah, and also that being said, I'm going to enjoy the Trinidad Esperanto. Yeah, and also let's talk about an article from the ABA Journal. I assume this is American Bar Association yes. Journal. Lawyers smoke cigars, drink wine during Zoom hearings. Litigants appear from hair salon and while driving. Okay. Could it go any other way? This is, you know, with, with everything that's happened, you know, with the virtualization of pretty much everyone's job this year, I think this was a foregone conclusion. I think it was inevitable. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think it could have gone no other way. And I'll, but here's the deal. If you're sitting there, how many times have you been sitting in a courtroom? waiting for your turn on the speeding ticket to walk up and get driving school, which, by the way, I think is a tremendously inefficient way to do it. Can't they just send you a letter and say, hey, you want to pay the ticket or go to driving school and save us all some time and money? Yeah, it would be nice. It's punitive. Yeah. Well, it's punitive. It's, okay, we want to cost you some time as well as money as well as everything. You know, it's punitive as opposed to actually legally 
you know, legally barring. Well, but one could argue but, that the whole purpose of driving school and fines and stuff like that is inherently to be punitive. So I, you know, as much as I hate it, I can't really fault them for doing what they're what they're intending to do. Yeah, but let's not gild the lily. Uh, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> And all, but how many times have you been sitting in the courtroom in the back and thought, man, this would go a lot quicker if I could fire up a stogie? Well, I, what was it about? It was only as recently as about 30 or 40 years ago that you could. I mean, within our lifetime was when they stopped allowing smoking in courtrooms. Yeah, but if I'm a judge and he comes to the front smoking a machine-made Swisher Sweet, I'm throwing the book at him. Yeah. That's why you'll never you know, be a, a judge. A guy walks up there smoking a high quality, you know, especially if he can get his hands on a Don Gonzalez, a, a high quality proper cigar and steps up there. I, I'm going to treat him a little differently because I know he's a man of discerning tastes. And all. I, I, I think I can weigh that into my decision. I can judge a man based on the cigar he smokes, can't I? Well, yes, but the legal system shouldn't. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying. I think, I think it could. So, some of the things that have happened on these Zoom calls: a lawyer fell asleep and began snoring during motioning hour. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to go through this list quickly, and I want you to thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs up means the judge should let it slide thumb down means he should throw the book at the lawyer okay all right i know life is shades of gray but we're going black and white here lawyer falling asleep and snoring during motioning hour i'm thumbs down on that one I, i'm kind of thumbs down on that one because i feel like he's robbing his client exactly that that's for me is is you've got a job to do be present and do it it's not like you had to drive there a client appeared in her bikini by a pool while another drank a beer. So I'm, I'm not thumbs down on this based on the other person drinking a beer. I don't think anybody should be beholden to the actions of others. But I am thumbs down on the whole, you know, there's a dress code in a courtroom. And just because you're not feel fully in a courtroom, I do believe there is a time and place for professional decorum and dress. And I think, you know, take it by the pool, but at least have the sense to put a, you know, a suit jacket over top so it at least looks like you tried. Yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of that. This The bikini is definitely a thumbs down in my category just because... There should be some respect for the proceedings. Exactly. A lawyer puffed on a cigar while cases were being called. Yeah, this is this is one of those that I'm. Uh, yeah, thumbs up on this. Uh, who cares? He's not physically uh, in the courtroom. He's on his. You know, as long as he is acting in accordance with the decorum afforded a courtroom and the proceedings, I don't think there's anything. You know, like I said, as recently as. 30, 40 years ago, it was fully allowed uh, for lawyers and defendants and plaintiffs all to be smoking in the courtroom. So there's obviously no legal precedent for, for this being a problem. Yeah, I think we can both go thumbs up on that, not just because we're cigar guys. A lawyer started drinking a glass of wine during a hearing. Okay, this is a two-parter. So lawyer drinking a glass of wine during the hearing, thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm I'm thumbs up on this one too, uh, to an extent. Uh, but 
mention the second part. <laughs> the second part being during a hearing about a parent's problem drinking. Yeah, and there we go. <laughs> I think he, he goes to thumbs down pretty quick in the in those terms, right? Well, especially because all he has to do, or she, I don't know which, um, all the person has to do is put it in a coffee cup and no one would be any the wiser. Yeah, and I don't right, think and there's lo- anything inherently wrong with having a glass of wine during a one-hour, you know, deposition or hearing or whatever. You know, that's fine. There's no impairment there. But it's a really bad look when the topic at hand is problem drinking. Well, and, you know, again, a couple of years ago, a lawyer sitting in the courtroom with a coffee cup that just happened to have bourbon in it. Right probably was was perfectly acceptable yeah as long as the judge didn't see the bottle of bourbon being poured well and and i think especially with the the problem drinking thing i think if i'm the judge i think you have to throw your book at the person because it shows that they're not acting in the best interest of their client if this person is representing the alleged problem drinker you're pretty much guaranteeing a guilty verdict because you're reinforcing the issue at hand and but if you're if you're representing the other party, you're basically minimizing why this is important to the case, and therefore you're you're basically showing them to be not guilty. So it it acts in disservice of whoever your client is, and I think that's the big issue for me. Okay, this is this is an interesting one. A defendant's meth pipe was visible on a table behind him. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, you know, and you hear stories. This is not. This is not just uh, specific to Zoom hearings and virtual hearings. You know, you hear all the time of people get in the courtroom and no, I I couldn't have done that. I was high, or I no, I haven't had a drink in. That. No, I wouldn't have been able to pass that sobriety test if I'd been sober. That's for sure. You know, people get in their own way all the time, and I think I, I think you kind of have to pay a stupid tax a little bit. See, I'm on the other side. You can't prove it's his meth pipe. He may it may just be a pipe, you know, to one to recognize that it's a meth pipe when it's not actually in use as a meth pipe to me is a little. So if I've got one of my Italian made Mario Grandes sitting behind me, are they assuming that's a meth pipe? No, but a meth pipe has a very specific look to it. And so it's it's one of those things that a, a pipe of that style and shape is only used for Ill- illicit substances. So it's it's not a, and enough of those have been entered into evidence over the years that it doesn't require any, you know, additional or special knowledge to be able to identify it. And I'm prejudging this last one as a fact that I think this is just somebody playing, paying a stupid tax. A client who had been in a car accident did her Zoom disposition while driving. <laughs> yeah, that one seems a little silly to me. Well, and it's one of those things, you know, all of the hands-free laws and all of the things about using phones while driving recently have kind of changed to the point that using any type of video communication, be it hands-free or not, while driving is against the law. So, I mean, that would be like attending your deposition in a ski mask while robbing a bank. I mean, you're actively showing a wanton 
neglect for you know legal proceedings in in the process well you know i was in a courtroom one time um on a speeding ticket and the judge one of the cases they called before was somebody driving without a license and the judge said how did you get here today and the person said oh i had so and so drop me off and so the judge judge pronounced okay this is your fine this is so what and when the person left, he looked at the bailiff. He said, have somebody follow her car, her to the car. If she gets in the car to drive, bring her back here. And sure enough, they hauled her back in there before I left. Right. Yes, she stepped behind the wheel of the car. And I, the judge proceeded to throw the proverbial book at her. Yeah. And rightfully so. Absolutely. Okay. So let's land this plane. Let's wrap it up on a ha- on a happy, happy note. I know we're running a little long today, but I'm okay with that. Um, Ybor City, Tampa, the flavors and aromas of Cuba found at this Ybor City business. So I've been here before. This is the Tabanero Cigars, and I recommend everybody that go to Ybor City visit Tabanero. They have the rollers up there hand-rolling the cigars right there in front of you. They have the draw later testing the draw. Their coffee is outstanding. A uh, full coffee setup there in the back with the old style of espresso machine that, by the way, can we make an espresso machine that does not sound like a jumbo jet taxiing to the runway for takeoff? No, no, we can't. That The sound is a byproduct of the very purpose for which it's built. Well, I'm just saying, we've got a, a Hadron, Hadron Collider or uh, in Switzerland, and I'm sure it does not sound as loud. I'm sure busting atoms does not sound as loud as somebody making an espresso. Yeah, that that whole calling it a big bang was just uh, yeah, just a misnomer. But is that what you're saying? Just just a misnomer. It was somebody in the back was making an espresso when they happened to fire that puppy. Up. Okay. And all, but um, Tabanero Cigars, excellent place. Glenda and I had a ball there. A uh, great place to grab a custom hand-rolled cigar. Uh, the cigar was not amazing, but the experience by far made up for any lacking that the cigar may have had. You know, a couple of interesting things about this. One is the the business has only been in business for 10 years, and, and having not been to Tampa myself, I just, I have this sort of... Uh, romanticized vision of Ybor City in my head that every cigar shop has been in business for a hundred years and three generations of family ownership. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, And so for me, it's great to see that newcomers can become accepted. The second piece for me is I was thinking about this today. So as we're recording, there is a lot of snow still coming down in this area Uh, probably another inch over the course of the hour we've been recording here. And, um, but there are a handful of shops in our area that are still open today. And I I plan on going to visit one of them here in a little bit. And I was, I was, I woke up this morning wishing there were a place like this in my town, you know, a place that does good, you know, real coffee you know, on demand at the cigar shop. You know, there are a lot of shops in the area that have coffee, you know, just regular American drip coffee or a Keurig, both of which are usually terrible. 
I wish we had a place where I could go and have just a rich, full-bodied cup of coffee with a cigar today, because a snow day is a perfect opportunity for that. And, you know, our Bell Mead Cigars in Bell Mead, Nashville, is in the same little shopping area. You can literally walk from Bell Mead Cigar to Starbucks and never have the sun hit your shoulders. Do you think that contributes to their success? I don't know. You know, you walk in there and, you know, any given day, if you're there in the morning, they they also uh, benefit from being the first cigar shop in the greater Nashville area to open every day. They open at nine. And if Ewan's working, they open as soon as she drops her kids off at school, which is usually about 830. Um, They you walk in there in the morning and about half of the people in there. And there will already be, you know, four or five guys in there smoking. Half of them will have a Starbucks cup. The other half will have a styrofoam cup from their bun automatic coffee maker in the back. So uh, how much they benefit from that, I'm not sure. I don't know. It'd be interesting to do an economic study and see if it is feasible for the initial investment of having a high quality coffee machine and the labor of having somebody there to run it. Um, if the if the if the numbers ever balance out, yeah, especially because now that you mention it, I'm thinking, you know, Smokers Abbey has an independent coffee shop right across the street. Uh, Crown has a Starbucks one block up. You know, Bell Mead is 300 feet from the nearest coffee shop, and and I'm thinking about, you know, all of you know the kind of cigar shops that you and I both frequent in the area. Even the new big boys in Spring Hill. Is only half a mile from a Starbucks. I wonder how much, how much benefit there is to it because cigars and coffee go together better than peanut butter and jelly, in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. Well, give us a rating on the My Father, My Father. Bring it home. So it has long been a tradition in my life to have a cigar and drive around during the first snowfall of the season, um, assuming we get one that year. So. Sitting here in the snow, in my car, smoking this wonderful cigar, I recognize my experience is tainted through rose-colored glasses. I'm enjoying this probably more than I would otherwise, but I'm inclined to give this a seven. That's a bold I, review. I, I, I am going to temper that. So I, I want to give it a seven, I but recognizing there may be an environmental bias i'm going to go six and a half i can deal with that i think that's very further review i'll have another one on a day where everything's gone to heck and a handcart and we'll we'll see how it shakes out then so the gto gto la cara rating the cigar the flavor of the cigar the construction of the cigar, I have to give it a six, but I've got to knock it down to a five and a half for yeah. the size. The size, you know, I, I um, stuck it at the break with my pick just so I didn't drop it and burn a hole in my favorite mm-hmm. sweatshirt. So GTO La Cura, La Cura definitely going to be a five and a half. And if they did something about the size and put the blend into a Churchill or a Gordo, probably could get it to a six All pretty right. easy. Well, how do they get a hold of us, You can get a hold of us via email at info at thecigarcast.com or on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and facebook.com slash thecigarcast. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.